Well, good morning. We want to welcome you to Redeemer Church and glad you can be with us uh, for this time of worship. If you uh, happen to be visiting with us this morning, we want to offer you a very special welcome and uh, hope to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, one of the ways that we do that, we encourage you to uh, text the word welcome to that number that's on the screen. Uh, if you prefer to use paper instead of text, uh, there's a connect card in the seat pocket in front of you. If you just want to fill that out, put it in the offering plate. It gives us a, uh, a record of your being here and gives us the opportunity to connect with you during the week. And uh, we have other ways for you to get to know folks, a coffee service after um, the uh, worship service this morning. And uh, we also have a uh, special service next Sunday night. It's our praise service and a wonderful time, extra music, uh, just a wonderful night of, of worshiping the Lord with uh, a lot of work that goes into that. And that is followed by a uh, food and fellowship dinner uh, next Sunday night. And so it's another way to uh, meet people, get around the table and enjoy uh, that time of getting connected. Uh, we also have um, a, a new member class. Maybe you've been here for a little while and you'd um, like to consider what that uh, membership at Redeemer looks like. Uh, that class, as you can see, the dates are listed there in the bulletin. It's spread out a little bit. Uh, it'll begin today. Uh, next Sunday, we have a special presentation regarding our Christian education policy, uh, but then the new member class will pick up the following Sunday, the 25th, and then there's a break in uh, March, and it will continue in April. Uh, we want to make you aware this coming week that uh, uh, our dear Jeanette will be uh, out of the uh, office for her vacation and uh, just be aware of the sequence. Uh, the week after that, then I'll be gone. week after that, Jeff will be gone. So there's a, a little bit happening there in the month of February. We have our young adult game uh, uh, night this Friday, and I was told that uh, due to our less than ideal temperatures, the uh, uh, broom ball will not be happening, but you'll have a game night uh, pizza will be provided, but you're welcome to bring uh, drinks and snacks if you would like. And then lastly, just got a report regarding our food pantry yesterday that it went very well. Uh, some wonderful connections, praying with people, and just a good opportunity uh, to connect with people in our community. But if you look back there, you'll see Mother Hubbard's cupboard is bare. And I uh, would love to have your help uh, to get that back uh, restored uh, before next month. So really appreciate all of your generosity in that. So let's take this moment now. Prepare our hearts as we come before our God. We learn from the Old Testament scriptures that God Almighty revealed himself in a very special way to the people of Israel. And it was into that people that his son was born. And yet God's vision from the very beginning, his plan, his one plan, was for all nations. 
to get that gospel, that good news of a Savior that would come to save sinners like us was indeed for all the earth. And so, uh, as we see in our psalm, uh, Psalm 66 this morning, we hear that from the psalmist as he says in verse 1, Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. Well, this is indeed our Father's world. Let us sing his praise as we stand together.
Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with hearts that are so grateful for the promises and the truths that we have just sung uh, about your power, about your glory, uh, about the fact that though uh, we were separated to you by our sin, uh, by the life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, you reconcile sinners to yourself, that earth and heaven may once again be one. And we look forward to that day uh, as our Savior returns And uh, we pray that it would even be this day, if it be your will. But as we uh, come before you in this time of worship, that your spirit would guide us in each part uh, of this time uh, as our hearts are warmed and uh, grow in gratefulness because, Jesus, you indeed are the friend of sinners. Amen.
may be seated. Well, because of that promise of Jesus that he is with us to the end, we know that he is with us now. We know that his uh, patience and his kindness and his grace is what draws us uh, to himself uh, with willing hearts that are open to confessing our sins uh, to him. Now, we uh, have been given uh, the Lord's commandments to help to order our lives, and by our sin natures, we disorder our own lives on a frequent basis. And yet the Lord brings us back into His good order. And uh, maybe you've heard the illustration uh, of the bullet train, uh, where if you want to be riding in a bullet train, the greatest freedom that it enjoys is when it runs along the rails it was designed to go on. If you've ever been in a bullet train and you went off-roading thinking that would be fun, it's not as much freedom. It's quite a bit of destruction. And so when we think about uh, the rails that God designed us to run on in His commandments, uh, that is where the freedom is found, is in obedience uh, to the glory and grace of our God. And so Psalm 119, as you may well know also, Uh, is uh, outlined all about uh, the commandments of our God. If you want to learn the Hebrew alphabet, you can just walk through Psalm 119 and learn the Hebrew alphabet. We're at hey um, in uh, verse 33. Uh, But we're going to uh, confess uh, these words as our uh, unison confession uh, to our God. So let us pray the scriptures to our God together. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Amen. Well, let us take this moment now uh, as we've corporately confessed to our God that you may have certain things uh, that were provoked in that reading of that scripture that you need to confess privately to the Lord. I want to give you that opportunity now in private prayer. Father, we acknowledge that our ways are not your ways. And in all the things that we can see in our hearts and our lives and in the various patterns in which we live, that whatever ways that we are out of line uh, with your ways, Lord, that you would reconform us to your ways, that we would find our greatest joy, our greatest hope, uh, our greatest encouragement in the fact that Jesus has walked that path perfectly in our place, and that by your grace we are given his perfect life. We are accepted, justified in your eyes, washed clean because of 
our sin uh, by his death. And we're so grateful that our resurrected Jesus welcomes us uh, even to come to you on a continual basis uh, because we need your forgiveness. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord gives us this assurance of our pardon from Isaiah chapter 43. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The Lord has given us his promise, and we have all the reason to rejoice, saying that it's certainly we're not forgiven or accepted because of what we have done. It is not in me, but only about Jesus. Let us stand and praise him together. Please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving. In this life, our names are written on many books or ledgers. When we are born, our names are written on birth certificates. In school, report cards and diplomas. At our first job, an employment contract. 
When we buy our first house, a title deed. If we get married, a marriage certificate. These are all transitory. But as Christians, our names are written on something much greater. Not temporary at all, but fixed. Fixed for eternity. Our names are written in heaven. Our names are written in heaven. Such a great truth to rejoice and reflect upon. Our names are written in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for such a great gift. You are such a great God. We praise your name this morning and ask that you be glorified in a way that you truly deserve to be glorified in this morning's service. And we ask this all in your Son and our Savior's name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
Every Sunday morning we spend some time praying for those in our church and in our community, uh, some of whom are facing medical challenges, and there are some of those this morning who will pray especially for Dwayne Torrance, you can note in your bulletin, um, our request for prayer for him uh, in two respects. It respects um, on Sunday or on Monday afternoon, February 12th, uh, he'll be having the injection to help with some of his pain. And on the 14th, that is Wednesday, he will have reconstructive surgery on his left wrist. And so we're praying that those would be successful. He would have a quick recovery and also that he would have greater mobility in his wrist. Now, the other thing I wanted to note before we pray this morning, something that's largely hidden in the in the time of what we worship, but I wanted to alert you to it. This is the time of year where men who have been nominated to be elders or deacons have been considering those nominations. And it brings to mind this simple reality that our church is not, first of all, run by the pastor or pastors. We believe it is governed by uh, the eldership in common. And so this morning, during our time of prayer, we're also going to pray for the elders of our church. So let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, it is a great joy to bow before you to remember, as the psalmist says, that you are a shepherd and we are your sheep. You are the one who leads us into green pastures and beside still waters. And even when we wander through the valley of the shadow of death, we have no reason to fear because you are with us. Your rod and your staff, you protect us. And when we come to the end of our life, you have said you will prepare a place for us. Jesus followed up with that truth in the book of John when he said, That when he passed from this life to the next, when he ascended, he would prepare a place so that where he went, we could go also. And we find ourselves in the intermediate time between the time when Jesus ascended and when he will return. And for some of us, that time when we will go to see our Lord is much sooner than for others of us. But frankly, Lord, none of us know exactly that time or hour. And so we are grateful to be here this morning to worship you and to acknowledge you that in the days that we have, the hours that we possess, you have given us a rhythm. And in that rhythm, there is a day of worship, this one, and we are here to give you that praise. We pray for those this morning who are facing challenges in life and in their health specifically. We pray for our brother, Dwayne Torrance, that the procedure and then the surgery that, is, that are scheduled for him would both be successful. You would relieve him of pain. You would give him greater functionality for his wrist. And Lord, that you would restore him. We also pray for Anna and Liz and Grace as they spend the next few weeks in Guatemala City ministering to children and families in the slums in that city. Open their eyes to see the tremendous mercy that you have shown to them. And from that resource, may they be merciful to those that they care for. Father, teach them what it means to be Christ-like in their ministry. Not just to give because they have the resources to give, but to give of themselves. To show that we together live before the face of our creator God. And Lord, may they do more than just provide for the needs of those that they're ministering to. Open the hearts of those who receive the care, the love, the instruction. Father, may they see in them the light of Jesus Christ. And we pray that through the ministry that they do and those who are with them, that you would cause a great number of people to come to faith in our Lord. 
We also pray the same for Zach Francois and other math workers. We are so thankful that Zach could be with us last Sunday to describe the work that he intends to do in Haiti. We pray that very soon that nation would be open again, that you would cause a fighting to cease, especially in Port-au-Prince. You would provide safety for those who would like to go there to minister. Again, it is our desire, Lord, that wherever there are human beings, Jesus Christ will be glorified. And we don't mean that simply individually, but we believe that as people are changed, cities are changed, and nations are changed, and any attempt to bring that change long-term will fail apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we ask for our brother and others like him who serve with MAF that you would use them to do great and mighty work. We pray for Deb Benson and her work also in that same island. Father, thank you for giving her that great willingness, that passion to serve there. And we pray that you would bless her effort and our participation with her and Zach and others. Lord, would you do great things through that work. And Father, we also remember that this morning across the world, there are wars that are raging. Maybe it seems like old news to us. The wars that are raging in Ukraine and in Palestine, in Israel. Father, we, we seem almost detached from that reality. We come here in safety. We drove on, we drove on roads without worry. We slept last night without fear. But there are places in the world where that is not the case. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring justice there. That the forces of right would prevail. That people would be free and without fear from the harm of those around them. Father, it causes our hearts to long as we do for the coming of our Savior Jesus. When those wars and what Jesus said are rumors of wars that are threats of war that are often so troubling to those who live in those places. Father, we long for the day when those things will be gone and there will only be righteousness and justice in this world. Father, in the places in which we see that already, in places where you've given us influence, where we can bring some of that now, give us strength and courage, we pray. And Father, we also pray this morning for the elders who lead our church We think of those, first of all, who are considering being trained and to enter into leadership as an elder. These are significant considerations. And we ask that you would give these men discernment, careful consideration, good conversations with those who know them well. Lord, also a heart of sacrifice and being willing to give of themselves even when it's not easy. Even, Lord, sometimes to do very difficult things. We pray for the men who are currently serving as elders in our church. We pray for Jeff Rosendahl, for Jonathan Beakey, for Kirk Harmon, for Dale Pasma, for Dick Champ, for Tyler Van Ree, for Dave Shaftsma, for Pete Faber, and for Chris Thompson. Equip them, Lord. Give them patience as they do their work. Give their wives and families understanding 
And may we, as we are commended at the end of Hebrews, be those who seek to honor those who are in authority over us. Father, we pray for them and ask that you would fill them by your Spirit. And in those places in which they seem weak, that you would lead them into your Word and they would find encouragement and strength there. In those conversations that they have with us, of, with those of us who are struggling, maybe wandering, give them also wisdom. Help them, Lord, that they would know what to say. And when they are called to give direction and to decide policy for our church, may they look to you, Lord, as the one who leads this body, making decisions that are faithful and will advance the cause of Christ in this body and in our community and across the world. Father, we are grateful for what you have done in your word, not only telling us about our Savior, Jesus Christ, but also saying that he is the head of this church. This is not, first of all, our church. It is not Redeemer Church. It is not a Presbyterian church. It is a church of Christ. We ask, Lord, that that would be clear in the decisions and the leadership these men show. We also pray that it would be true as we go to your word. That what I am about to say as we read your word and then I explain it would be faithful to what your word intends to say. That your spirit would lead us. That this would not simply be a presentation of some thoughts that I've had about your word. But instead as we read in this very passage, the passage before the one we'll consider this morning. The one who receives the one that you have sent receives you. In order for that to be true, the words that are spoken must be true words, faithful words, words that are directed by your Spirit. Open our hearts, all of us, whether we've been here many times or this is the first time we've been in this building or the first time we've joined this live stream. Father, whoever it is that you brought us here, we are deeply grateful that you have shown us the kindness that we can hear your word. And now we open it and pray that the spirits who first led all of the writers, all of the authors of the Old and New Testament, the one who filled their spirits so that the words that they penned were faithful and true without error. Father, we pray your same spirit would lead us here this morning into the riches of that word. Father, we ask you this in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As you can see in your bulletins, we're turning this morning to John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. I just note for you that that will be on the screen behind me, and you're welcome to follow along there. If you have a Bible, you obviously can turn there as well. If you came here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give one to you. If you find one in the seat in front of you, uh, when you leave, you're welcome to take that. We'll replace it. If there isn't one under the seat in front of you, I'll be at the door in the back after the service is done, and we'll certainly give you one. The reason I stress that is because there are two very important things that we invest heavily as a church. The first is the scriptures. We've already sung the scriptures. In many ways, we've prayed the scriptures. Now we're going to read the scriptures and explain them. We need that truth. And then we need this community of believers to help us as we walk after Christ. So from John chapter 13, beginning at verse 21, hear the word of God. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. 
And one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what are you going to, what are, what, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. This is the word of our God. May he bless it this morning. As you heard in one of the announcements before the service began, when our worship service is finished here this morning, I'm starting as part of Sunday School, a five-part series on church membership. It's not just for those who are not yet members. In fact, you may have been a member of our church for a very long time, and I'd encourage you to come as well. And here's why I think it would be beneficial for you, even if you've been a member here. It is because of the questions that we're going to think about in this Sunday School class. For example, this morning... At about 11 o'clock or so, we're going to consider the question, why should I be a member of Redeemer Church? Why should I do that? There is a much fuller answer I'm going to give, Lord willing, in Sunday school this morning. But here at about 10.09, during the worship service, we have read a portion of Scripture that leads us to understand a part of what it means to be within the body of Christ. Let me explain that to you. You may be one of the many people here who have been part of another church before you came here. And the experiences have varied. Maybe it was a very good experience, and I'm thankful for that. Or maybe it was a very poor experience, and you come here with some scars. Only when I say a poor experience, you may think to yourself that hardly seems adequate for my experience. It was beyond poor So let me explain to you some of what my childhood was like in a very poor church experience. I've noted this before, but it was so formative for me as a child, I think it bears mentioning again. I remember people yelling at each other after the service, calling each other names in the narthex of our church. I remember church members coming over to our house at night, vandalizing our home. I remember the pastor, my childhood pastor, after he left our congregation, eventually being arrested and then in prison for horrible things that he had done. I remember people being scattered from that church and some of them leaving the Christian faith altogether, so discouraged by what they had seen. And perhaps most striking to me as a young man was that my father, who served as an elder in that church, developed so much stress from what happened that he had shingles and suffered not only mentally and spiritually, but also physically. Now, after all of that, maybe you say, I'm discouraging you from being a member of the church, or maybe you would ask the question, well, then why would I ever want to be part of a church? 
if things that bad could happen as part of it. Well, last week, we had one very powerful reason why you should be a member of a church. Because Jesus, who is the head of the church, loves us to the degree that he will serve us in whatever way we need. Even in the most basic ways, Jesus is committed to serving us. And further, he is committed to developing that spirit of service in the church as a whole. That's how strong Jesus is. That's a very powerful reason to belong to a church. But that section ended with Jesus telling his disciples that someone was going to betray him. He serves his disciples, he calls them to do the same, and then the news that someone close to him was going to hand him over to the authorities, and as we know from the scriptures, he would be killed. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that in addition, in addition to what we read last week about the power of the love of Jesus Christ to care for his church, to love you, and to form a body that can do the same, this passage actually gives us a second very powerful reason to be part of his disciples. It is this. It is that our Savior knows the betrayal that can come from those who are close to him. And he works to create a people who can risk serving each other even through that betrayal. That's how great our Savior is. Now I understand if that takes some explanation, so let me explain it to you. And there are three things I want to say about your ability to risk serving even through betrayal. The first comes in verse 21, and it's what I'm describing the revelation of the basic idea or the principle of the passage. In verse 21 it says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. If you have been reading through John or if you were here last week, you will know there's an obvious connection between what we're reading here and the passage that came before. They're not separate One didn't happen a year before the other. No, they're in close connection. In fact, this truly, truly, I say to you, is the third truly, truly that happens in quick succession. Jesus says that twice in the previous section. Now he says it again. The previous section also ends on the note where Jesus says, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sends me. What Jesus is saying is that there is a basic correlation between Jesus' action in that previous section where he serves his disciples by washing their feet and then calls us to serve each other in a similar way. He is saying there's a correlation between his actions and then what he is calling us to do. In fact, he goes so far to say that when people observe Jesus' disciples in action, they ought to see a loving service that makes obvious that Jesus is at work in them. That's not a difficult concept. But it begs the question why in verse 21, this section opens, this reading opens, with Jesus being troubled in his spirit. (laughs) You would think... 
After this call to loving service, Jesus would be joyful. His disciples would say, that's what we'd love to do. Instead, Jesus is troubled in his spirit. In fact, the language used here is used one other time in the Gospel of John, and that's when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, and Jesus is troubled in his spirit. Whatever's happening here is so troubling to Jesus, it's almost like death. What troubles our Savior so much? It has everything to do with a combination of the previous section and this one. As we know, Jesus is going to be betrayed. Someone very close to him is going to turn him over to the authorities who will misuse him and put him to death in order for this person, this betrayer, to receive some money. Imagine that. It is an offense beyond offenses. It is the worst sort of offense the world can know that someone would deceive and turn over the Savior of the universe to be put to death. There is no other greater offense imaginable. And you can understand why that would trouble Jesus. Luke describes Jesus in anguish just before he is betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a famous passage where it said, and he sweat like drops of blood. Tremendous anguish. You would understand why Jesus would be so troubled. But you'll notice in the Gospel of John, John does not focus on the anguish of Jesus because of his betrayal in that respect. In John's record of Jesus going to the cross, Jesus' anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane is not found. That's found in Luke, but not in John. John is not focused on Jesus being troubled for, for what he is about to endure. Listen to this. Jesus is troubled about his betrayal for what it means for those who follow him. That's what is troubling Jesus. The suffering that is about to be part of his, of his life will soon become part of his disciples' lives. lives. Jesus loves them with such a great love that thinking about the suffering they will endure brings him to incredible anguish. He grieves when his disciples will suffer. He knows what faces them. If you think I'm stretching this too much, it is consistent with Jesus' words in verse 16 of this chapter that we read last week. He says a servant is not above his master. Jesus repeats that again in chapter 15, verse 20. In our chapter 13, it is about service. As Jesus was willing to serve in the most humble of ways, we should serve as well. In chapter 15, Jesus applies that in a different context. In chapter 15, he applies that to the idea of suffering. As Jesus suffered, he said, you will as well. To put it rather simply, this section is about suffering and betrayal. It focuses on Jesus' betrayal, but in context, its application is so much wider. It is about the suffering through betrayal that we will suffer as well. Let that be a dose of reality for us this morning. As wonderful as the body of Christ is, and I believe we have a wonderful body here. Unless we are above our master, Jesus, we will suffer as well. 
And I might point to all sorts of ways we suffer. You know these ways. Maybe it's an illness that you're suffering with. Maybe it's an estrangement for a chi- from a child. Maybe it's a sin that rips apart your own soul. There's so many ways in which we suffer from the effects of sin. But that suffering also includes what happens among Jesus' disciples. And Jesus, because he understands not only what is happening to himself, but also what will happen to us as his disciples, says even those who we know, who know you well, even these will harm us deeply. That's the first thing we learn about betrayal in this passage. The second thing we learn about betrayal in this passage is the reality of who's going to do that. We find that in verses 22 through 26. This is a majority of the passage. This is where we watch the action occur. Jesus says he will be betrayed, and then we watch him show his disciples who is going to betray him. And there's really two characters in these verses that you should understand. The first is referred to as the one whom Jesus loved. This is almost certainly the author of this book. You can read through the rest of John and you'll come to that conclusion very quickly. And of course, people have wondered, why doesn't John just say, well, he spoke to John? There are various answers that are given. Perhaps there's a touch of humility to it. But there's also a much deeper reason. It is the same kind of reason that John Bunyan, that caused John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress to name his characters names like Christian or Mr. Goodhart or Evangelist or so on and so forth. The effect of doing that is to universalize the one that we're looking at. And John, the one whom Jesus loves, knows that this character, the one that Jesus loved, is not only John himself, it's all those whom Jesus loves. Or to put it this way, we encourage to focus less on identifying who this is and more on what he is. That is, the one whom Jesus loves. Now, some of you think perhaps you're belaboring that a bit, Pastor, and I am. But I'm doing that, I hope, for a good reason. I want you to see in this first character found in these verses, the one whom Jesus loves is close to Jesus. He's literally reclining on him. Or to say it this way, to use the language of an older confession, Here is one who is resting and relying upon Jesus, physically but also spiritually. And this is the one Peter asks to then ask Jesus, who will betray you? And this is also the one that Jesus responds to. Jesus is the one who responds to the one he loves. And this one he loves is at the very center of this identity of the betrayer. Which brings us to the second character in these verses, and you won't be surprised. He's the one who sticks out the most. It is Judas Iscariot. He is the one Jesus identifies by taking a piece of bread, dipping it in the bowl, and giving it to him. Please understand what's going on in this action. Jesus says the betrayer is the one whom I dip into the bowl with. The stress is on the 
I. It is the me. Jesus is saying it is a meal with me. My betrayer is having a meal with me. Maybe that doesn't make a lot of sense to us because if you go to a fast food restaurant, you're there with maybe 40 other people that you barely know. That's not what this is about in this story. In a meal like this, you wouldn't just eat with anyone. No, eating with somebody was more like sharing an apartment with a roommate. You're careful whom you select to be your roommate. It's got to be somebody you know, someone you trust, someone you identify with, someone that you are close with. It is for that reason that Jesus was heavily criticized by the Pharisees because he said they gathers, he gathers with sinners and he eats with them. And you think, well, isn't that nice of Jesus to do? The Pharisees said no, because it meant Jesus identified with sinners. He was close to sinners. How could he be morally upright if he identified with them? And especially for the Jews, there would have been the subtext of the deep fellowship of the meals that were part of the ceremonial law. Jesus is stressing the closeness between himself and Judas, the one who will betray him. These two characters demonstrate a contrast. They both had access to Jesus. They both heard the same things that Jesus spoke. They watched the miracles Jesus performed. There was no difference between John and Judas. There was no difference between the one whom Jesus loved and Judas Iscariot when it came to their access to the Savior. There was, however, a significant difference, a huge difference in the way that they responded to Jesus. In fact, this account is set up so that we as readers would see that contrast very clearly. In fact, you'll notice in the story that most of the disciples had no idea why Jesus dipped that morsel and gave it to Judas Iscariot. They thought, oh, maybe Judas needs to go out and do some work, so he needs to eat. Most of them are ignorant. And yet we as readers can see what's happening here. We're given the inside picture. Why? So that we can see the contrast between the one who knows Jesus and trusts in him, who loves him and is loved by him, contrasting that with the one who is with him and knows him but never trusts in him, never relies upon him, never rests upon him, and instead betrays him. That contrast, that is the second thing you should know about betrayal. Which leads to the third thing that I want to talk about briefly at the end of this passage in verses 27 through 30. It's really the root of the problem. It's not Judas alone. It's not just a problem with this particular person. It is far deeper. It's about the evil one attempting to ruin God's redemptive plan. This is the devil. As Jesus dips his piece of bread into the sauce, he gives it to Judas Iscariot. When Judas receives it, the Bible says that Satan entered into him. Jesus says, go out then. He is saying, go and do the work. The one who's at work in you, the evil one, Satan, the devil, he has been trying to destroy the work of God from the beginning. That preceded the time that Judas ever existed. Judas now is the one through whom the evil one is working. 
What John is doing is emphasizing that what Judas is about to do is not simply the work of a greedy man making some money by betraying a friend. It is far deeper and darker than that is the work of devil himself. I could trace out for you all the ways the devil had had tried to destroy Jesus' work up to this point in his life, all the ways he tried to destroy God's work before this in the Old and New Testaments, and all the ways he will try to do that after Jesus' life on this earth. But rather than doing that, I simply want to tell you that the evil one has been trying, did try, and will try. And that is the reason John includes it here. It is because our God wants you to see how serious this betrayal is. It is betrayal at the highest order. It is genuine evil at work. Which leads to a couple of questions. What does this leave? Where does this leave us? What does this mean for us that Jesus is betrayed? Even further, I said this betrayal is one of the ways that should compel us to be part of the church. And if you are following with me, you might say, Pastor, I do not see how that could be true. The first thing I want to note for you is that a passage like this comes with a very strong warning. It is very possible to say the right things and do the right things and act the right way and fool a lot of people around you and yet your heart be far from resting and relying upon Jesus Christ. I'm not asking if sometimes your heart is weak and you struggle with a particular sin. I'm asking about basic orientation. There was never a time that Judas Iscariot looked in Jesus and said, I want to follow him. I want to serve him. I give my life to him. No, Judas Iscariot, from the very moment he began to follow Jesus, had no love or honor for our Savior. So that this passage stands with this question. Do we rest and rely upon Jesus? If we do, there is no possibility that we would ever fall into the sin that Judas Iscariot fell into. It's not possible. If, however, this morning you're listening to this and you're saying, as long as I act the right way, do the right things, I can fool everyone around me. What I say to you this morning is you're not fooling. You're not fooling your God. Not at all. He knows the very heart of you He knows what moves you, motivates you, the things that you care about the most. A passage like this stands as a great warning to you. Hear it that way. But second, I want you to see this passage within the wider perspective of what's happening in the Gospel of John. In fact, I want you to see this passage not through the lens of one betrayal, but two. The other character that comes up time and again between now and the end of the book of John is Simon Peter. In fact, if you know the way that John unfolds, you will see that Simon Peter comes to a point where he says about Jesus, I don't even know who that is. And he flees from Jesus. 
The story of John is not just Judas betraying Jesus, but Simon Peter also betrays Jesus. He will not acknowledge him when there's a threat that he might be harmed. He flees from Jesus. It is not simply that Judas Iscariot is held up as the example of one who will not acknowledge Jesus. Simon Peter is as well. We'll return to that theme as we move through the rest of these chapters of John, but I introduce it to you now for this reason. Because the point of this section is not to say if you've ever done anything sinful, if you've ever dishonored your Savior in some way, if you've ever been inconsistent in your testimony, if there's a secret sin that you struggle with and you're battling against it, you're in big trouble. Now, the testimony of John from this point forward is a testimony of the way in which Jesus loves Peter in the middle of his sin. To the point that at the end of John, Jesus restores Simon Peter and he calls Peter to be the rock on whose confession the church is founded. Imagine someone who disowns his Lord and the Lord turns to Peter and says, but you'll be the one upon whom this body will receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not that Jesus works through perfect people. It's not that he's looking for those who never make mistakes, who never even say words that offend our God. Those are not the people through whom Jesus works. No, Jesus works through those like Simon Peter. And you're called to see that contrast. And the reason I stress that contrast is because the warning that it issued about not falling into the sin of Judas Iscariot is a very stark sin. In fact, if you're listening to me and you say to yourself, oh, I struggle to follow Jesus. I'm struggling to follow him in some way. I want to follow him, but here are the things that I struggle with. That's the struggle of Simon Peter. It's not the struggle of Judas Iscariot. We read in no place up to now that Judas Iscariot struggled with that. It's almost only at the moment at which Jesus is betrayed that he realizes his mistake. Simon Peter is convicted over and over and over again. Even when Simon betrays Jesus, will not acknowledge him as a savior, Jesus in kindness reaches out to him over and over and over again. And that leads me to the third thing I want to say to you this morning. And it goes back to that question I asked at the beginning of this sermon. One of the very powerful reasons that you ought to be a member of the church is because Jesus loves you and he calls you into a body where you can serve each other. Here's the second powerful reason that God calls you to be part of a church. Because our Savior Jesus not only loves you so that you may do good, he also loves you that when you fail him, he can restore you to do good. You know how comforting that is? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you're going to do that in your heart as you record the many ways that you have failed your Savior. Maybe it's not that distance 
distant from your mind this morning to record that failure. Maybe it's as easy as this morning or this past week. And you read this story this morning and I say, be warned, do not do as Judas Iscariot did. And you say, oh, I fear that I have. Can I urge you, friend, to look at the kindness of Jesus in this story? Identifying the one who would betray him, but warning and is preparing his disciples for the future that they would lead. As wonderful as I believe this body is, I'm very glad to belong here. I've said before, even if I wasn't the pastor, I would love to belong to this church. I also know that within the body there are failures. I've seen some of yours, and you've seen mine, and you've seen each other's. And the joy of belonging to the church is that in the middle of those Simon Peter failures, we have a Savior who knows the difference between ultimate betrayal and those of us who are struggling. And he can use us, even in our Simon Peter hesitancies, to serve each other and to glorify his name. Does that bring you joy this morning? Praise the Lord for his goodness. Let's bow in prayer. Father, whenever, what in, in whatever way we feel inadequate this morning, whatever way we can trace our own sins, our own struggles, the places where we have failed, we give them to our Savior Jesus, the one who knows us as we are, the one who saw Simon Peter ask that question and knew what Simon would do and yet loved him. Father, you look upon us the same way. If we have no regard for you, if we're only like Judas putting on a show, bring us the deepest possible conviction this morning that we would not take comfort in simply looking and talking and acting the right way. Turn us to our Savior and cause us to rest and rely upon him as John literally did for our Savior. But then also fill us with hope, Lord. The part of the beautiful work that our Savior does is bring together people who have all sort of shortcomings and challenges and struggles. And you bring us into a body where we can be honest about who we are. We can have people help us as we seek to follow after our Savior. And we know that the power of the redeeming grace of Jesus means even those failures can be used by him for good. We rejoice in that, Lord. And we pray that more and more that would be the character of each one of us, but also our church as a whole. That instead of denying the difficult places in life, we would acknowledge them in the light of the kindness of our God. It is in Christ that we pray. Amen. Let's stand to sing.
Amen. After the service is finished, the kids who are singing should come up to the front. And after they're finished singing and they go back to their classrooms, that's when adult Sunday school will start, approximately 11 o'clock. Just keep a watch on that. And again, whether you're a member or not, you're welcome to come. In fact, I'd encourage you to. Receive this blessing from our God as we leave worship. Find them, my beloved. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Go in his peace. Amen.